Everybody, I am excited to start our Lent series together. This is the first time that I've been involved in a church where we really recognize Lent as a church. I've been in churches where individuals recognize it. So I'm really excited to be able to dive in today. And thank you, Justice, for laying the red carpet out on this series. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 21. And in verse 1 it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. The disciples went and did just as, the, as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. These passages show us Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it marks the beginning of what we observe now as Holy Week here in Lent. It's a wonderful scene displaying the majesty of Jesus, Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords, riding into Jerusalem in humility on a donkey, not with a big army, not with trumpets blasting, not with a sword or a battle cry, but with a be- not with a beautiful white stallion, but on a donkey. He was showing us that he was a different kind of king. He was a king that they had anticipated, but he wasn't, he wasn't what they expected. He was a king of peace, a king of holiness, a king of righteousness, a king of justice and judgment, a king of power and might, a king above every other king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And today we're going to camp around this theme, the king and his kingdom. I wish I had days with you to go through and talk about the kingdom of God. I could talk about it for weeks and months and still not have enough time. I only have 20 to 30 minutes today. So we're going to just scratch the surface together. And some of you watching now are like, oh, I hope it's 20 minutes. When you read the Gospels, one of the most popular names of Jesus among the crowds, among those who saw him, among those who touched him, among those who were delivered by him and healed by him was Son of David. We saw it in the passage we just read earlier. Hosanna, the son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. David's kingdom in the Old Testament is a shadow or a prophetic picture for us of Jesus' kingdom that we now experience. The whole message of Scripture is kingdom. Israel's sort of golden age, if you can think about every nation or most nations, not all nations, I don't think Canada has had one yet, but a lot of nations from history hearken back to a golden age when things were great, when we were at our peak, when we had power, when we were, we were the king of the seas. And Israel's golden age was when King David was on the throne. It was a time when Israel was at its peak. They inherited the land 
that God had promised to Abraham. It was the first time in their history where their borders were secure. It was the first time in their history where, where they, they had a king of authority and power. They had an anointed servant of God on the throne. And when the prophets wanted to speak of a greater kingdom yet to come, it was difficult for them to find the words to describe it because it was so big, so huge. So they always spoke in terms of the kingdom of David. In Jeremiah 30, verses 8 to 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and I will burst your bonds. And foreigners shall be no more, shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Do you see the prophet Jeremiah? This is hundred year, like hundreds of years after the death of David. So he's not, he's not talking about David being reincarnated and walking on the earth. He was pointing to the future. He was saying, he, he was saying that David would be their king. Well, what does that mean? In Ezekiel, we find the same thing. In Ezekiel 34, we had a prophetic word. Hundreds of years after, generations, David had been dead for generations, and it says, And I will set up over them, he's talking about the people of God, he's talking about us, one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he shall feed them, or he shall feed them, he shall feed them, and be their shepherd. David's already been dead for generations, as I said, and he promises that David will be raised up to shepherd God's people, to feed God's people. He's speaking about a time that was yet to come, a time that me and you are in now. There was an expectation of David's kingdom being reestablished among the people of God. It was their golden age, and it was their way of saying and describing what was so big, so wonderful, that they had to hearken back to the golden age in order to describe it. And when Jesus came into the world, it, it was a new wave of proclamation. John the Baptist came first on the scene, and, and John, we find him preaching in the Bible, and he says these words, Repent, for the kingdom of, hand, kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we read Jesus came, and it says that he came preaching, and the message that he had was the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. Jesus was all about it. In fact, we find at the very end of, not his life, because he'd already died and rose again, but before he had risen up to glory to be seated at the right hand of God, we find in Acts, when he appears to his disciples, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, in Acts 1, verses 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had been given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, the disciples, during the 40 days before, this is between him dying on the cross, being raised again, and ascending those 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. He chose to spend the last days here on earth as a flesh as a res well, as a resurrected body, but a tangible being in front of them, not sp but speaking about love. Nope. Speaking about healing? Nope. Speaking about anointing or heaven or grace or, or the church? None of those things. It was the kingdom of God. And as far as I can read in the New Testament, nobody ever asked John and Jesus, hang on a minute here, pal. 
You know, they're coming to preaching about this kingdom. They're talking about the kingdom. It, he spent his last days talking about the kingdom. I don't find in the Old Testament where they're like, what are you talking about? What is the kingdom? Why the kingdom? What does it mean? And the reason nobody asked around him was because everybody knew. They, they knew the prophecies. They knew Ezekiel. They knew, they knew what was said in Zechariah. They knew it, what was said in Jeremiah. They were anticipating, there was an expectation among the people of God for the kingdom to come. And the kingdom that was to come was based upon the life, the ministry, and the rule of King David. Hosanna, the son of David! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You see, we read these phrases, we don't often like dig into them. Why do they call him son of David? They understood there was something of significance going on when Jesus rode in on the donkey and they were yelling, Hosanna, son of David. This was the promise being fulfilled. It wasn't exactly like they expected. They might have thought it was going to be a ruler who would overflow, overthrow the Roman Empire. He came in peace. He came in humility. But he was the, their king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He was a new king with a new way. And there's so many things about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of G David, rather, that revealed to us the kingdom of God. There, when Jesus arrived, so did the kingdom. The kingdom had come in Christ and he came to establish his kingdom. And I encourage you to read about David's kingdom because you'll get great insights, great revelation, great understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. Again, I don't have time to dive into everything. I wish I could. When the angel came to speak about the birth of Christ, he promised that Jesus would sit on David's throne. In the book of Revelation, we're told that Jesus has the keys of David. Jesus is, Jesus is inseparable from David because one was a paradigm, David, and the other was the fulfillment, Jesus. When Paul is speaking in the book of Corinthians about the resurrection that was to come for all of us when Jesus returns, he makes a very interesting statement about the resurrection body. He says, first the natural, then the spiritual. And that doesn't just apply to our future resurrection body state. This is a principle that we find in Scripture throughout. It's a biblical principle. First the natural, then the spiritual. And it applies here where we've got first the natural, David's kingdom, then the spiritual, the kingdom of Jesus. And we find that throughout Scripture. You will find shadows in the Old Testament that point to a greater revelation that's yet to be fulfilled in what we're living in now. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a geographical place. It's not in Israel. The kingdom of God is not a race or a people group. The kingdom of God is not the church. It's spiritual. It's a new dynamic. It's a new dimension. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church. It's bigger than a geographical region. It's bigger than the cosmos. It's bigger than we could ever fathom. The kingdom of God is wherever his rule and his government are in action. Anytime we see his rule, his authority, his power, his judgment, his peace, his love, his holiness, his goodness, or his will on display, we've seen the kingdom of God. So it's not for a particular time at a particular place. We see it wherever we go when we see his government established or his rule displayed in the places we go. It's wherever the government and will of Jesus is expressed. 
We know in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is in heaven? If the kingdom is meant to come on earth as it is in heaven, we know that in heaven, in eternity, in glory with God, there's perfect peace, there's perfect holiness, there's perfect righteousness, there's perfect love, there's perfect, um, there's perfect grace. And all of that can be expressed here on earth. He starts by establishing his kingdom and his will within us, though. So what does it look like to see his kingdom displayed? What does it look like to have a king like Jesus? Well, firstly, it looks like the king is in charge. I don't know about you, but any kingdom that I know, the king should be in charge apart from maybe the monarchy in the UK. I'm sorry to my wife who's British, but she's just a placeholder, right? She's a figurehead. She doesn't have the rule that kings once had. Jesus is a king who has rule. In fact, he's seated on the throne. He is the name above every name. He is above all powers and principality. He is the Lord of lords and king of kings. We believe that. He's on the throne, not us. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Jesus, take the wheel. He's at the helm of our lives and we are his royal subjects. So when we understand the kingdom, when we understand that there's a kingdom of God, we must understand that there's a king and we must understand that there are royal subjects and that's you and I. What he says goes, full stop. No ifs, no what abouts, no nuances, no loopholes. He is the Lord. The word Lord is a very Christianese term, I guess, and it's someone or something having power, authority, or influence. It's a master or a ruler. We're subject to him, submitted to his will. I hope you know King Jesus like I've come to know him, that he's good, that he's only he only has the best intentions for us, that he's faithful and kind. He's seated on the throne. He is in charge. He is righteous. He is holy. He is powerful. But He is kind. He is gracious. He is loving. And it's good to remember that because one of the things I want to pick up that we don't often talk about is that His judgments are good and just. He's not a narcissistic tyrant. As His servants, we have to be okay with His judgments when He points out things in us that don't line up for his best in our life. Evangelicals love mixing up words that actually don't mean the same thing. We often equate judgment with condemnation. And I don't know why, but as soon as we talk about God judging, we see it as a negative thing. I think because we're taught not to be judgy. Don't be a judgy guy. Don't be so judgy. Can't judge them. And oftentimes we think it's synonymous with being mean or rude. If we talk about God bringing his judgments, we see it as some kind of destructive visitation. And yet the Bible knows nothing of that concept because the king's judgments are always redemptive and creative. To illustrate that for us, there's a whole book in the Bible and it's called the book of Judges. And the book of Judges helps us understand how God's judgment works. It was a time where we find God's people in rebellion. 
Here's God's people turning away from Him, following and pursuing other false gods, worshiping idols. They became enslaved to other societies. They weren't following Jesus. It was chaos. It was manic. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. And in their desperation, they call out to God. And the book of Judges tells us at the moment of crying out in Judges 2.16, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Not judges who condemned them, not judges who kicked them when they were down, not meanie weenies, but judges who delivered them. God's judgments are geared to produce deliverance in us. And we have to understand that in this time of Lent, maybe it's a good time to be a little bit more judgy about yourself, to be introspective. I'm not talking about judging others, although I'd love to come to that. A good judge, I don't know if you've seen you know, those YouTube clips of those like famous judges. There's one guy, there's like a Judge Judy, and everybody loves them because a good judge frees the good and gets rid of the bad. Everyone loves a fair judge. We need judges. And we need the King of Kings to judge our lives. And we need to position ourselves to allow him to speak into our lives as his royal subjects because he is king and he knows best. And as we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice and all he did in this season of Lent, ask him, is there anything not lining up with your kingdom values, God, with your principles, with your will, where we let him judge, we judge ourselves, with the Holy Spirit. We judge, we listen, we repent, and repeat if we need to. It might hurt a little for a moment. He points things out, but that's our call to sacrifice. It hurts a little bit when he points things out. In Hebrews 12, verses 3 to 11, it says, Consider him who, enjoyed from, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have, forgotten the, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, don't regret, light, regret lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Wow. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it, as it seemed best to them. But he, God, the King Jesus, disciplines us for our good. He judges us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. There's the fruit. There's the outcome. There's what we saw in Judges. For, the moment, for at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. His judgments always produce good outcomes. Him being a judge isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's good. If you walk in the ways of good, God, judge me, God. Find the good fruit. Point out the things that are going to make me better. 
There's a guy who I, I, uh, I, a guy who I know, he, he leads a bunch of churches, a big evangelistic movement in the Philippines and in, uh, in, in Asia. Um, it's phenomenal what he's doing. And, and I remember him speaking once and he, says, he said, a good church has blood everywhere. What he was saying is a good church understands sacrifice, understands laying down their life to the king. And if we don't learn to judge, if we don't learn to judge, we'll never learn to rule. In this season of Lent, it's a great reminder and opportunity to lay down our lives at the king's throne. Allow him to show us the places of our lives where his kingdom needs to come as it is in heaven. At the end of Judges, a refrain recurs a couple of times. There was no king in Israel. And in, at the very end of Judges, the way that it ends, the whole book ends in Judges 21-25. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The whole book ends with a statement, with this statement. It was a mess. It was so sad. There was no king in charge. Someone going this way, someone going that way, someone having this idea, someone following the whims of their flesh in this way, someone wants to move in that direction, someone has a new God, another person has a different God. They needed a king, a leader, a ruler. Sound like anybody you know? You know, while we confess his king's kingship, there's a lot of us, and I've had times like this, there's a lot of us who, who live our lives as if there were no king. While we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, we don't live our lives in that way. Living life by doing what is right in our own eyes. Very little consultation with the Lord on the decisions being made. I'll just do whatever I feel like it. I feel my truth tells me this. Good luck with that. These days, if you say that there is an absolute truth and that the truth is only found in King Jesus, if you say that we can only get to the Father through Jesus, if we're talking about these things, it can seem super controversial because people are, you know, that's the new thing, like everybody can do what they want. It's okay, let's be, you know, if, as long as you're not hurting anybody, go for it. But there is a king. There is a king. And he wants what's best for us. There's no king. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. I think this is why so many people aren't living in the fullness of the salvation that God has brought them into. They make wrong decisions. They do foolish things. They make rash decisions in their, in their life. And, and it's because they haven't let Jesus rule in their life. They haven't laid down their life at the throne. As his beloved servants... We're a people who obey and listen to the king, listen to his commands, follow his leading, respond to what the spirit is saying. He's a king who cares, who loves. He wants what's best for us. After all, he made you so he should know all about you and what's best for you. A king whose will and ways are much better than ours. I always remember a story. I love a, a preacher named Francis Chan and he's one of my uh, all-time favorites. And uh, he, I always remember him telling a story where it's, after a worship service, someone came up to him and said, ah, you know, Francis, I really, I really didn't enjoy the worship today. And I love Francis' response. He said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> Our North American twisting of things is all about how I, you know, how do I feel about this? Newsflash, it ain't about you. We live to minister to him. We live to serve him. And it's so easy to come into our gatherings like this, 
conferences, to church services and, and say, minister to me. Feed me up, Lord, and forget that He is King and the reason why we come together, the reason why we exist is only because of Him. And really, our first, our first, our first responsibility is to minister to the Lord, to give Him the glory that He's due. Not coming, you know, oh, you know, it's all about me. And we actually do receive as a result of ministering to the Lord. He says, draw close to Him and He will draw close to you. There's, there's a step that we need to take as His royal servants, as His subjects. And His kingdom should be displayed on every area of our life. In our private lives, we submit He is ruling. In our marriages, we submit to Him. He is ruling. In our parenting, we submit to His judgments, to His word, to His leading. He is ruling. In our work ethic, we submit He is ruling. In our attitudes, we submit He is ruling. In our finances, we submit He is ruling. In our identity, He is King. He is ruling. In our thoughts and emotions, He is King. He is ruling. He rules in love. He judges with justice. His kingdom comes in righteousness. His kingdom overflows in peace. His kingdom produces joy. He wants you to succeed. And at times like this, when we celebrate Lent, or when we observe Lent, it's a great time for us to reflect and let the King do what only He can do and rule in our lives. I love that we have the opportunity to take a season to reflect, to, to sit back and, and ask God, you know, what are the things that I need to get right? And it starts with understanding that He is King and He is Lord. Not only over you and I, but he is king over the cosmos. He's seated on the throne. He's way bigger than any great idea that you have. But in everything, we should submit it to him. And you will know him as a kind father. We'll say, great idea. That's a fantastic idea. And you will know him as a good judge who is just and say, I don't think that's good for you. In fact, this is better for you. And those who submit their lives to the Lordship of Christ live life this way. And I believe that our story won't end like the book of Judges. Instead, I, will, I believe that we will be known and it will be known. There is a king in local church and everyone did what the king asked of them. Praise God. You might be watching this and you don't know the king, but he has a plan and purpose for your life. And the Bible talks about becoming a Christian is simply coming to him and laying down our life at his feet. And what that looks like isn't, you know, it might be laying down, but it really it looks like coming to him and, and, and praying a prayer within our heart, within our spirits and saying, God, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to take over. You're the one in charge now. I've tried it on my own. It's not working. I've tried to sit on the throne of my own life. I've tried to do what was right in my own eyes. But chaos has come. It, it's a mess. And just like the book of Judges, you might be crying out for a king today. I'm going to pray right now. And if, if you pray this prayer with me, I'm going to say a line and you can say it with me. We've got some people in the chat waiting by. You can click the button to, to say that you've, you've committed your life to the king. And we'd love to get in touch with you. We believe Christianity is a team sport. And if you would like to connect with us, we'd love to do that. We'd love to hear about you and, and, and what your dreams and aspirations are and walk with you in this journey. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I acknowledge that you are a good judge 
I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me. And at this time of Lent, as I reflect on my life, I realize I don't have a king. And so, Lord Jesus, today, in this moment, I submit my life to you. I confess my sin to you. I acknowledge that you died on the cross. I acknowledge that you rose again. I acknowledge that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come into my life. Take hold of my life. Rule in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. We're back here next week. I'm really excited to have our pastor, our lead pastors are coming back. And they're back from New Zealand, and we have the privilege of hearing from one of my favorite preachers, not heard from him for a while, Levi Mary Church. Welcome back, Levi. Come next week, same time, same channel. Adios.